This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. Hey there! I wanted to catch you at the top of the episode to let you know that my Patreon page is changing its name and URL. Rather than the page saying Stephen Trigar and the URL ending with Stephen J. Trigar, the page is fully transitioning over to The Composer Chronicles. All members of the Patreon page will continue to enjoy all the same benefits as before, including early access to ad-free versions of every episode, access to the Patreon podcast unscripted, and all other benefits one can find at higher levels. So, if you are listening to this episode and you hear me reference patreon.com slash Trigar, that is no longer a valid URL, as I have changed it over to patreon.com slash thecomposerchronicles. I hope you enjoy, and I hope to see you on my Patreon page. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Composers of Our Modern World on The Composer Chronicles. Today's guest is Ben Morelli's Frost. I'll let him introduce himself momentarily, and I am so excited for you to get to know him. In today's episode with Ben, he will be sharing his highly intriguing and unconventional journey to becoming the composer that he is today. Ben is a film, television, and theater composer, and you will get to hear how he is able to work in these genres and even how the COVID-19 lockdown affected his work. Ben is a composer of several accomplished projects, such as the films A Beast in All But Name and Post Carbon Society, and the musical Billy the Kid, a new musical. Stick around until the end of the episode to hear the suite from his score for the film A Beast in All But Name. From Alexandrian Media, this is The Composer Chronicles, a podcast that delves into the stories of the world's greatest composers and their works. I'm Stephen Trigar, and this is episode number 20, Ben Morales Frost. Let's start off with uh, you just telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey of becoming a composer. Okay, well, uh, it's been a really strange journey, actually. And I think I'm a little bit unusual in that I write for so many different formats. So I do theatre projects, I do film projects, uh, I just did a podcast jingle, I'm talking about dance projects with people, it's... I'm very much stimulated by any kind of genre where there's a story to be told with music. And therefore, I think my journey here has been quite weird as well, quite strange. Uh, I, at the very, very beginning of my career, was actually working backstage in theatre and thinking, oh, my God, I don't know how you become a writer of this kind of stuff, because clearly all the best ones have ever been, uh, you know, Richard Rogers and and, uh, and co. And I was just thinking, that's impossible to become that. So I just like to work in this vague area. Mm-hmm. And all the time, all the way through that, I was composing nonstop. And it built and built and built until I finally realized that I could actually do it. And, and there was a possibility of actually... Um, doing this for a career and for a mm-hmm. life. And so that's how it's happened. It sort of largely snuck up on me until there was one moment in about 2008, 2009, where I was 
working on a show in London's West End. And I decided I, if I'm going to become a composer, I need to effectively stop doing what I'm doing and re, <laughs> almost rebrand as a yeah. composer. And so I came, I actually got some auditions for doing a postgraduate course in composition because I've never actually formally studied music. And I thought, well, if that's what I'm going to do, I need this written on a piece of paper that I can do this. Right. Then, yeah. Because then people will believe me. <laughs> and um, it's, I actually had to get some time off that show I was working on. And because um, I had an audition over in, at Juilliard in New York. Oh, wow. Which was thrilling yet terrifying. And <laughs> I had to ask for permission for the time off from this job I was doing uh, to come across for this long weekend's worth of auditions. Anyway, to cut a very long story, story short, what happened was that uh, in the end, I didn't get into Juilliard, but that became immaterial because I got a call a couple of weeks later from the company that who was running the West End show that I was working saying, we're just about to start recording a big new concept album for a new piece of musical theatre, um, which was the sequel to The Phantom of the Opera by mm-hmm. Andrew Lloyd Webber. And would I like to be involved in the rehearsal process because they needed somebody musical mm. to be involved, but also with good organizational skills, which is what right. I had from my backstage experience. Anyway, so that's what happened. The very next day, I was in a rehearsal room with Andrew Lloyd Webber and the full cast of what became Love Never Dies, this mm-hmm. sequel. And uh, that began, the, that was the beginning of a five-year career assisting him basically uh, and became his full-time head of music in the company which was I had two options right I had the option of going back to music college and getting a piece of paper Mm -hmm. or I had the option to discover what writing music was in an incredibly practical way in the rehearsal Mm -hmm. room with somebody who's it turns out is pretty good at it and has made quite a career out of the thing. <laughs> Which, considering that my, the first thing that got me into music was theatre music. Like, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's how I kind of started uh, a complete being in the right place at the right time kind of story. Wow. So you have no formal training whatsoever. <laughs> Not. So no, just, more, no. more, just practical training. Yeah. Only practical on the job. But, so, so through my sort of 20s, as I was working in um, theatre, but I was working on the production side of theatre, I spent the whole time, as I say, writing, composing, and studying. I sort of made my own study programme, really. I bought the score to everything that I loved, classical music. I mean, that's, that's where I started school with, you know, orchestral music. And just dissecting these things and discovering what the sounds you hear when you hear music, what that looks like on paper, and therefore mm-hmm. what are the set of instructions that you need to give to an orchestra to make that sound again. And um, I just, I love that. I could, I, I could read scores all day, every day. It's, wow. uh, it's my favourite kind of reading. <laughs> and it happens, luckily, to be a sort of education along the way as well. Yeah. Is- I remember sitting down and reading scores, reading full scores for the first time, hmm. not just not just the instrumental parts in in the orchestra because I was a trumpet player and okay. trying trying to figure out how all the instruments just make music together on on this score was just a thrilling and eye opening experience. Yeah, absolutely, and it doesn't matter. There's how many scores you've read or how many pieces of music you hear. Mm-hmm. Every time you need read a new score, there's another set of surprises in there of thinking, oh, I'd have never have thought of doing that. That's so imaginative. Yeah. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Do you have a favorite uh, theater music composer? Oh, okay. So actually one of the first people who um, I became obsessed with in my teenage years was uh, Bernstein, Leonard Bernstein. Okay. Through... Um, buying the original cast album of that. Okay. And that began, uh, began a sort of lifelong 
love affair with his stuff and discovering his orchestral music. And he ran the entire gamut of, mm-hmm. of, uh, of styles, really, from really fun, silly stuff, you know, like his, his earlier Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. West Side Story, which is obviously in a seminal piece of, of writing in the 20th century that kind of changed the face of uh, musical theatre and what, mm-hmm. what it can do. But then all of his orchestral work as well. And I'm, I used to, well, I still do, sing in uh, a choir. And so I'd sung some of his choral music as well. Mm-hmm. And just the way uh, he could step between worlds like that, I think has actually been a huge influence on me, definitely. Wow. I don't think I've ever really performed a Bernstein piece other than the overture to Candide. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's stepping in with a really difficult one there. Yeah. (laughs) Really difficult. Some incredible, incredible ideas in his work. So, yeah, I love the way he sort of spanned classical music Mm -hmm. and theatre music without making a distinction in it at all. And I still think people have a – there's an element of snobbery in in the two, definitely. (laughs) Uh, And especially crossing across into the film world as well, which, of course, Mm -hmm. Bernstein did – uh, with On the Waterfront and, you know, mm-hmm. various other things, still of which are looked on as some of the best bits of film music as well. Yeah, absolutely. And are you, do you still regularly compose theater music? I do, yes. I'm actually working on a, a project at the moment, which, I mean, that's where I've been this morning. We've been <laughs> working out, we've been working out the dance moments in this oh. show, in a rehearsal room, which is completely thrilling because for the last six months, of course, there's been no rehearsals, no anything like that. Right. And we have this, it's not been officially announced yet, so I, I mustn't say, but right. uh, it is planning to start rehearsals in the next couple of months, which Wonderful. is very exciting, uh, and to open at the beginning of next year. So, yeah, that's, um, that's a full-blown musical. Wonderful. But, uh, simultaneously, uh, there are, couple of film projects that I'm doing as well, mm-hmm. including one which uh, the film's called Blue. And in a way, it has some elements of, I suppose, a, a musical in it. The, the protagonist, mm-hmm. it is a film. The protagonist has songs that happen in her own imagination. But much like a musical, the songs further the story and they further your insight into her thinking as well mm-hmm. so actually it's uh i've yet to write the score to that i've written the songs the right. films being shot as we speak and that's actually quite th- thrilling to me the idea of scoring it but referencing the the songs that have been written as well i've not done anything quite like that as well and i love this overlap between my two favorite things to write yeah yeah, that's awesome. I often wonder what it's like to compose something like that. You, you, you're saying that you already compose the songs and they're they're done and they're in the hands of those who are filming, and then they're going to send it back to you, and then you finish off the rest of it. That's kind of what we're doing at the moment. Um, I mean, it's odd. Well, I, okay, part of it's odd in a film to be writing music up front. That's mm-hmm. Not a usual process. But obviously in theatres, the complete opposite is true. You write all of the music mm-hmm. and then you see what it looks like on its feet when it's when it's telling a story and then you edit it. Mm-hmm. So actually I have had quite a lot of practice at that. But even so, writing the songs, I know how they fit into the script. But moments, like a, a, it's often working out how you get into and out of a song or even or any piece of music in a film, is always a really important moment. Choosing where the music starts and ends is one of the first tasks you have to do with the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think the songs are written, but I'm pretty sure once it comes back and they're sitting there on the first edit of the film, I'll think, oh, I, I can think of a better way of starting that song or, or you know maybe there's a bit of underscore that takes us into it or mm, right maybe the song starts too boldly and i have to find a lighter orchestration to, to get us in i who knows who knows 
<laughs> it's it's a kind of adventure. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. What is the what kind of music do you compose more of nowadays? Do you compose more film music or do you compose more theatrical things? It's interesting. I've actually only come to film in the last couple of years. Mm. Uh, but actually this year I've largely spent most of it writing film music, which has been okay. a, a wonderful sort of baptism by fire. Um, it's only in the in the last couple of months that I've doing, been doing edits to this, uh, this theatre project that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mostly at the moment it's film. But I think that balance will change again. Right. Especially next year as I have another theatre project lined up, which was postponed from this summer because mm-hmm. of, because there's a plague apparently right <laughs> uh so so yeah it's uh it's a i'm pretty sure that i'm going to spend the next six months largely doing theater music dabbling mm-hmm. in film and then i'm it'll switch again i'm sure right now that you mentioned that how has the pandemic uh, really changed the uh, the music that you've been composing it's interesting the very very first week of the um the full on lockdown that we had and that was the week that pretty much every friend i have in the industry looked at their diary and watched it just sort of crumble away to right. nothing and all those things you know what it's like in 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 this in this world of uh, of film and theater stuff you you have things planned in for months and years in advance right. and then they disappear so my very first reaction was to write an incredibly miserable piece of music that will never hear the light of day. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, who on earth wants to listen to that? We've all had a miserable time. No one needs me to mm-hmm. musicalize that thought. Right. So then immediately that rebounded into, let's write something really joyful. So actually the first week um, of lockdown, I put together uh, a remote orchestra, the lockdown orchestra. I put a call out on um, Facebook and we did this ridiculously large project of people playing in their living rooms uh, and with about 150 players from across the, wow. the world, which was glorious. But then, yeah, it was about looking at the diary and discovering that the huge um, musical I had planned for this summer, which was uh, an adaptation of the Graham Greene novel, Our Man in Havana, mm. uh, which was going to take, you know, three or four month chunk of my summer. That sort of just got postponed. And at the time postponed with no idea when it was going to happen again. <laughs> uh, we're hoping very much that it's, that it comes back in 2021 in the summer there, but we'll see what happens there. So that disappeared. Uh, some film projects I was working on, obviously they couldn't shoot. So they got, pushed back to, mm-hmm. well, actually, luckily, one of them's shot last weekend, which was a wonderful wow. experience to actually uh, oh, to go and see that happen again. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's all of a sudden the diary cleared. So it was about making work. And I'm the kind of person that if I don't have anything to do, um, I just worry about things. And, yeah, you know, it's been like that, I know, for a lot of people. And some people haven't had the luxury of being able to make their own work. Right. Uh, but I'm really fortunate that what I do is a creative thing. Right. So I could just choose to, to create. So yes, I've been doing uh, a chunk of library music writing this year as well, which I've not actually done before. Mm. Uh, library in what sense? Like as in writing music and giving it to a production music library to then oh, okay. license out in future. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I put an enormous amount of energy into forging new relationships there and um, getting better at uh, the actual production side of my own music as well, mm. um, which is, like I say, nothing something I've never really done before. I've never done something where you don't have a reason for the music to be written. I'm always... Right. Everything's normally been telling a story or it's writing to a visual and... Uh, so I was writing an album of 10 light-hearted uh, string pieces, for example, um, and actually just trying to do one a day 
So it's a fantastic mm. challenge and a really good uh, new string to add to my bow, which was, um, yeah, that was fun. And then before I knew it, a film that I wasn't, sh- that I didn't know had actually been shot before lockdown, all of a sudden the producers got in contact and said, we've, we've edited the film. You know, they'd edited remotely, which was wonderful. Mm. And they said, we can, we can do this now. So that was back in May. I actually got to score a film and record it remotely, which was, a, again, another ex- new experience as well. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, despite lockdown, some people still were able to find ways to, to get their projects finished. Yeah, yeah. I think it's there – there are a couple of ways of approaching lockdown and my first of like i said my first reaction was oh my god misery and yeah. then it was if i stay in that frame of mind that's bad news i need mm-hmm. to make things to do and so yeah. it was that so um i did various writing projects with friends i got involved in a, a brilliant sort of composer's coffee break thing that was set up over here in 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 the uk and so we all got together at 3 p.m. every Monday uh, and just had a chat with people about how they were dealing with things. And it was good oh. to hear as well that other people were having work either cancelled mm-hmm. or postponed, but but were making the best of it. And it was interesting hearing how people were doing that as well. Right. Yeah, I have a similar experience. when When my job shut down, I was like, I don't know what to do. (laughs) I had been starting to write a book series. Oh, cool. Specifically focusing on um, operas and ballets and trying to make them more accessible to people who might be interested in, Mm. in operas and ballets, but don't know how to, to approach it because it is so far out of reach. And Mm. so I wrote, I started writing the series and at the beginning of the lockdown, I was like, Oh, I'll get a chance to, to write more of this. But then I couldn't <laughs> really, uh, I couldn't really find the time for it because I started to think I need to do more than just this book series. And I, I started my podcast and mm. I started a business and I, just like like you said, you you find the work and and so then I actually just recently finished the third volume of that series um, to add to the collection. And yeah, sometimes you just even though you have a terrible situation, you just got to find the best in it. I don't think it would have been healthy just to have stopped, right? You know, I, and and waited and to have waited for things to happen, right? Because there was so much unpredictability and nothing was confirmed. I think actually it might've permanently changed my frame of mind. I was talking about it earlier with a friend. It was always, I always used to sort of worry about future things. For instance, this theater production that goes into rehearsal in, in a couple of months time, maybe a year ago, I'd have been the kind of person who would really worry about that. Whereas now I'm thinking, well, I don't know what the situation's going to be in two months' time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's vague talk of London going into a, a, a lockdown again, which is mm. depressing. But, yeah. but you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm just sort of doing things now day by day. And it's joyful if, if the things that are in your diary happen. But mm. if not, they get moved a little further away. But hopefully they're still there. Yeah. How do you feel that the lockdown has changed the trajectory of the career that you're in now? Well, that's interesting. I'd um, So this time last year, I was assuming that 2020, for me, was going to be pretty cool. I was going to have two decent theatre projects happening, you know, in, uh, one in, in London, one out in um, uh, a smaller theatre outside of London, but still pretty high profile. And I thought this was going to be quite a, an exciting year from that point of view. Also that I was having some films, um, I was getting somewhere with my film writing and that this would be this, the year that 
everything I'd done last year was happening in festivals. But of course, that hasn't happened. <laughs> so what's really, really peculiar to me is that everything I've written for film has not yet been screened because they, all of the festivals this year were cancelled in some way. Mm. And because I really only started in film last year. Okay. So my career is, I'd say, probably a year behind now. Mm. But that's fine because I'm, I'm fortunate that there still is a career. Yeah. And I just assume that next year it'll appear that I've been really busy because <laughs> everything will happen simultaneously, um, mm. which I don't know, it might be good. Or it might be this, that uh, every single other composer has also got a backlog of stuff as well. Right. And that simultaneously we're, we're watching hundreds and hundreds of films, all seemingly composed by the same five people. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be like. Listening to this episode right now, come in a little closer. Let me tell you a story. Back in the early days of the COVID-19 lockdown, I was truly struggling with my health and fitness. My gym was closed, and I didn't have any equipment at home to be able to do a proper workout. I was laying around my apartment, moving from my couch to my bed, and vice versa, reading a ton of books eating unhealthy foods, and just living my couch potato life. I would occasionally get the nerve to go out on a walk in my neighborhood, but those were too few and far between. Then, something happened. It was like a switch flipped in my head, and I was sick of this life and I needed to do something about my health. That's when I found Roy Belzer Fitness, and then everything changed. Every weekday, I wake up with an email in my inbox containing a new workout video, and I can do that workout whenever my busy schedule allows. Better yet, in these videos, Roy does the workout with us. So his words of encouragement mean all the more to me, who is just sweating all over the place. But Roy Bowser Fitness isn't just a daily workout routine. It's a community, a shoulder to lean on, and a body-positive space where all are welcome and are free from judgment. Via a private Facebook community, every student gets to share their own journeys and encourage others to keep going. We all get to engage with each other every day, sharing sweaty selfies after workouts, nutrition tips and recipes, and posts that keep us accountable for one another. When you sign up for Roy's class, you not only get to join this incredible group of people to keep you accountable, you also get a free nutrition guide and the opportunity to win incredible prizes like free memberships and cash prizes. You can get back to your weight loss and fitness journeys right now when you sign up for Roy Belzer Fitness. Just go to RoyBelzerFitness.com slash sign up or click on the link in the show notes and use the code CRONPODCAST at checkout to get 10% off your first month of classes. Again, that's RoyBelzerFitness.com slash sign up and use the code CRONPODCAST at checkout for 10% off your first month. Join me and this wonderful community of like-minded individuals living healthier lifestyles in a body-positive space with Roy Belzer Fitness. Okay, okay, shh, 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 shh. the episode's starting again. So you said you started your career as a film composer just around a year ago. How did that all really start? Uh, maybe 18 months ago. Um, it's something 
And I always wanted to do it. Always, always loved the music in film and wanted to write for it. But I had no formal training and I didn't have any contacts in that world at all. Plus, the theatre writing was going well. And I was in an established um, writing uh, duo. We had lots of projects coming up and it was sort of, you know, when you're on a, a sort of journey and you're having a really good time and you think, well, do you know what? I don't, I don't need to change anything about this right now. And then, um, actually, it was a couple of years ago where we decided that we, we would actually like to uh, write some other things. The writer I was working with also wanted to write some plays. And I was feeling like I was confident enough to, to write something for film. Mm-hmm. And I'd, you know, met a few people who were in that world. So we decided we would um, take the foot off the pedal of our theatre writing a little, off the mm-hmm. accelerator, and both branch out a little. And that's when it really started happening. I, I managed to, to get some, just some small, you know, short films last year. But then I was incredibly fortunate to get a feature quite early on. It still hasn't been shown yet. Again, it's waiting for festivals. Um, but yeah, and then that's led to some other really exciting projects this year. Again, some shorts and, and some features. So it's all been quite a recent thing. But they're not that distant from each other, the two types of writing. The resources are different. Obviously, in film, uh, there's there's a huge amount more money swirling around, which means you can use slightly larger resources, which is um, a different, well, I was going to say a different challenge. It's also quite freeing, but it also means there are many more directions right. you can go in. Right. Uh, one of the most useful things is being told restrictions, because as soon as you know that you can only afford to record so many musicians, you think, well, okay, that, that's great. Uh, yeah. That's a really helpful thing because otherwise the whole world's a massive blank page right it's nice to know that what some of your limitations and in theater there are probably more limitations i think so more recently i mean you said that you started writing uh library pieces that people could find on on a library but you normally get your work from commissions correct Yeah. yeah rather than just sending things out yeah, uh, and and hoping that somebody will will take it and run with it. Uh, what from from the point that you get the commission, what does a normal writing process look like for you? Well, it's about finding, like I say, those those limitations. It's finding all the things that you can do to try and reduce the number of options that you have on the page and finding something interesting to do with those. So whether that's about discovering a particular instrument that you think is going to be useful or a sound uh, or a sound world in particular, how that's going to be useful. Often, um, I mean, this started when I was, before I was doing film, when I was doing theatre projects, the first thing I would do is sort of spend maybe three or four days downloading my brain, as Mm. I would call it, um, (laughs) trying out every idea I could, orchestrating them up in um, uh, just, you know, in logic, so sort of demo versions with samples and things, but finding things that I think captured the sound of the project that I was doing. Mm. And then carefully with either my co-writers or with my directors, selecting from those which which uh, uh, work, which feel right for the project. Another thing I often do is attempt to capture some themes as well, musical themes, melodies. Uh, I, I mean, I, that's my favourite part of the writing process, is writing melody. Really? And I think it's one of the ways in which I express myself hmm. best. Um, and I'm very fortunate that in theatre, melody is a hugely important part of the 
the thing and less so actually in film music which has been interesting so yeah that's what i do i try and capture something about the project straight away in a form whether that's something that ends up in the project who knows most of the projects i've done in film have had a visual for me to see up front Mm -hmm. except for these two films i'm currently working on which is the earliest I've ever been involved in a film, which is joyful. But everything else has had um, a visual. And that's actually, in some ways, quite hard to do. You're coming on board quite late in the process. And the Mm. thing has been made and and envisioned by somebody else. And you're joining in. And the whole one of the challenges there is to understand what they're trying to do. Mm Mm-hmm in the project, whereas actually it's very exciting to me to, for these current two projects that I'm in at pretty much ground zero just from an early script point. So particularly this, with this, this film, Blue, that has songs as well as part of the narrative, I've been able to talk with the, the director who's also written it about how those songs integrate into the script and what their functions are and how uh, how they bleed through into other moments so the project itself has developed mm-hmm. uh, as a result of me being on board which is really exciting and that's actually I think from my understanding is quite rare in film for for that to happen because normally it's sort of predetermined and then you're just uh, <laughs> you're just told to add some music at the end yeah which is entirely doable, but is not the, not the most exciting way to work. Do you feel that you are often the interpreter of what the filmmaker is trying to get across in their movie and making your music, or do you consistently go back and forth between the the director or filmmakers to try and and see what their idea is for your music? That's really interesting. I talk a lot with the director during the the writing process. Mm. But often I think that the director is trying to say something. I mean, music is an impossible language. Even musicians can't speak it to each other. You just, oh, that's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, that, that vocabulary isn't there between a composer and a director. So actually a lot of what I'm doing is maybe even reading between the lines of what or trying to understand in a stepped back kind of macroscopic way, what's trying to be achieved mm-hmm. because I don't think it's very useful to just read a script and respond literally to what is happening moment by moment, because you're seeing that as well. And if they're speaking, you're hearing that as well. So actually I think it's much more useful uh, when the music is trying to, add something that can't be shown or spoken about in the dialogue, whether that's a clue to something or a subtext, a feeling that they're having, but they're not expressing that in their words. They're actually saying the complete opposite. So I think it's much more interesting to try and illustrate what's not there Mm. in the script. And sometimes that's not what the director is saying either. Uh, I'm sorry if I've already asked a question, but how do you feel that your background as a theater composer has helped your film writing? Oh, that's a great question. I actually think that there's a huge amount of overlap, even though it doesn't appear like they're the same kind of music. The music I've done in theater has always been a central part of what you're paying attention to you know, especially with a, a musical theatre piece, the music is literally doing half the legwork in the storytelling. Whereas in a film, it's not about that at all. It's about kind of getting out of the way and supporting the action. But that said, there are large moments in theatre that I've done where you are effectively writing underscore for a scene. Uh, And you are trying to stay out of the way, yet still support the atmosphere and and the subtext. Uh, So I think that has helped hugely with the film writing. But also, 
and these this is my favorite kind of films are or my favorite moments are actually moments when I can slightly come to the fore again. They are a gift when you're writing music for film. When the director says, right, at this point, there's no dialogue. We've got three minutes and we're telling this bit of story and I'm showing it. But really, it's about you filling in uh, a lot of the blanks about the pace of the storytelling, um, you know, the feeling that we need on, on screen. They are joyful moments. The least exciting bits are where you really have to stay out of the way, but you have to be there anyway. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, and luckily, theatre gives you a huge amount of practice in being quite central to um, what's happening and grabbing attention. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> have you composed concert music? I have in a limited way. Um, I did some early on in my uh, composing career, did write a few much more in the way of concert pieces. Um and also music for choir as well. And actually, I've been doing a lot more of that in lockdown as well. I wrote a piece for the choir that I sing in that should be getting a premiere quite soon, hopefully, if we can uh, <laughs> gather in large enough numbers to, to do it. Right. But yeah, I I enjoy that hugely. But again, it's what I, this choir piece is, um, is, is, is telling a story. It's a, I've taken a poem a Yeats poem that um, particularly appealed to me during lockdown. Um, It's the poem that has the quote, tread softly because you tread upon my dreams uh, in it, which occasionally you see sort of on um, posters and things, memes. (laughs) And um, yeah, it turns out it's a Yeats quote and the poem's lovely. And so I set that for choir, but it's still a storytelling piece of music. And I've set it, I think, in quite an expressionistic way. Um, but yeah, I'd love to write more concert music. Not to, to put any of your other projects on, on any line, but what have what has been one of your favorite projects to work on? Oh, that's a great question. A couple of years back, I did a youth theater project, actually. Uh, there's a there's a program called the National Youth Music Theatre in the UK and I think the work they do is fantastic you can as uh, I think it's an under 22 you can join this program and it runs during the Easter and the summer holidays and they put on musical theatre they do four shows every summer and they get professional teams in directors, designers, choreographers, and writing teams. And they commission new work as well, which is quite rare to, to mm-hmm. find people who will actually pay for things to be written, which is extraordinary. Right. And we did this project. The show was Billy the Kid. Mm. And we found a way of doing it, uh, which I think is really cool, actually. We sort of did Bugsy Malone, as in everyone in it is a child. But Billy the Kid is actually a kid. And everyone around him is a child. So we found a really good reason for everybody to be young. Because Bugsy Malone, they are children, but no one ever mentions it. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, it's just sort of carries on and you're fine with it. Whereas we did that with children, a cast of something like 30. It was fantastic. We recorded an album, uh, which was glorious. We had a huge orchestra because, you know, it's the one time in your professional career where you're not limited by the producer saying, well, we can't afford any more people. Uh, mm. This was people wanting to be part of it. And right. uh, so, yeah, it was fantastic. And the story was, it also dealt a lot with themes of um, immigration in the US. The, th- uh, the idea of what is honourable, what, what's, um, what, what is being a cowboy. Mm. Um, all these ideas that our lead had of, well, it's great. You get to walk into bars and shoot guns and things. And actually Mm. we turned all that on its head and it became more about um, standing up for people, standing up for people who were uh, minorities or that were having something awful done to them or being bullied. Mm. And it was great. This was also happening so that the musical is set 
1876. So we had it as celebrating 100 years since the signing signing of the Declaration of Independence. Of the Declaration of Independence. I was looking at you there just to check. That's exactly what that was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it was. And so we had in it themes of um, what it is to be an American. And I'm obviously extremely aware that I'm not American. Yeah. But there's a huge amount of, you know, I was writing this. Ha- at the time, you had an election happening. That hadn't yet happened, and <laughs> it was extraordinary what those feelings were, mm-hmm. and the things that, as Brits, we look towards America as being pillars of uh, pillars of democracy, and yeah, all of that was. Um, all of these ideas were tied up in this show. It was very moving, I think, as well in, in places. So that, I think, has been one of my definite favorites just because of all the ideas that we got to pack into it and wow. i got a huge orchestra which <laughs> <laughs> is always the most important thing that's always the best part yeah <laughs> that's awesome what are some current projects that you're you're working on so currently i'm doing uh this fantastic feature-length film called blue mm-hmm. which is full of songs that express what's happening in the in the film so that's shooting at the moment but that's uh, that's very exciting we're going to have to record that one entirely remotely which mm. is a wonderful challenge i have to look on it as a wonderful challenge <laughs> <laughs> but it'll have its own logistical problems i'm sure yeah. i'm also doing this film a lovely short film called final sunset with a, a friend of mine who i worked with last year we both did our first film project together and this is the evolution of that the development of that and it's become something very exciting and um yeah very that's the the film that was being shot last weekend mm. uh so i've seen a little bit of that now I've seen some of the uh, the stills and some of the action on set so that uh, i'm scoring that in the next month or so once mm. an edit's put together and I'm also rehearsing uh, my musical, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is something I've been developing for it's about six years now. And the, the process of these is that they happen. They go through workshops. You refine the story you're telling. You go, oh, hang on. Mm-hmm. It's not bad at all. Yeah. That's been a quite a long process. But uh, thrillingly, it starts rehearsals very soon. And I'll have it... Um, production in the very beginning of 2021 is the hope. So that's what's keeping me occupied. That's what's keeping my brain full at the moment. (laughs) That's awesome. I, I applaud you on those and I hope they all go well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Uh, It's going to keep me busy. I think for the next six months, which is a (laughs) lovely place to be. Of course it is. Uh, Where are some places that people can find you and your music? I think the best place is to find me on my homepage, which is benfrostmusic.com. And there's all sorts on there. There's uh, showreel pieces, information about things I've got coming up, previous films that I've worked on, and, yeah, playlists and things. Awesome. That's, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for, yeah. for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I have loved your music. I've, I... There was one piece that I found on your SoundCloud that oh, yeah. I listened to all the time. I listened to it in the background on repeat, um, which is a big date from Face to Face. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, how wonderful. Well, Face to Face is a feature I wrote, I scored last year and hasn't happened mm. yet because of festival cancellation. Right. But I'm thrilled you like that. Thank you. When I first heard it, it was the exact kind of feeling that I had when I went on the, my first date with my fiance or my now fiance for, for weeks, I was like, why does this music feel so similar? And then I finally realized what it was. And <laughs> I, I listened to that on repeat all the time. <laughs> so oh, I love that. Thank you. Well, funny course. enough, that is 
the, that's uh, the main theme in that film. Really? But the theme itself pops up usually in the minor okay. everywhere else in the film. And it symbolizes, uh, can't really tell you the plot of the film until, it's ha- until we've seen it yet. Um, the, and this is what happens. There's this date happens, I think, 40, 50 minutes in. Mm-hmm. And that piece of music tried to capture the hope that he had going on this date, but also the um, the beginning of uh, of a romance as well, because mm-hmm. the date goes quite well. So I tried right. to capture some sort of fluttery heart, yeah, you know, things, butterflies, but also uh, pay off the tune, pay off the theme that I'd set up forty minutes earlier in a major kind of yeah. happier way. Yeah. Unfortunately, it then goes a bit wrong for him and the theme comes back to bite him on the the arms. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that particular moment has been has been quite lovely, so so thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for listening. Yeah, of course. And again, thank you for, for joining me today. Pleasure. I want to take the time once again to thank Ben for joining me on the show today. Make sure you check out his breathtaking and exhilarating music on his website, which I have linked in the show notes. The theme music for The Composer Chronicles was written by Daryl Banner. The Composer Chronicles is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cron Podcast. That's C-H-R-O-N Podcast. So be sure to follow the show and share it with your friends and family. There is a membership to the show through Patreon. For as little as $1.50 a month, you will get ad-free episodes access to the member-only podcast Unscripted, and other resources for the show. Click on the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com slash Trigar to become a member today. By becoming a member, you are directly supporting me, and it allows me to give you more content with even greater quality. If you like the show and want to rate and review it, the best place to do that is still on Apple Podcasts. Since Halloween is this weekend, I have a bit of a surprise for you. This Saturday, on Halloween, a bonus episode about the unsettling life of Carlo Gesualdo de Venosa, Prince of Venosa and Count of Conza, whose music was far ahead of its time, and occasionally just as creepy as he was. And now, as promised, here is the suite from A Beast in All But Name by Ben Morales Frost.
Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era.